Hello everybody, thank you very much for downloading this episode of the Cinema Catch-Up Club. For more information, you can visit the Cinema Catch-Up Club's official Facebook page. Just search for the Cinema Catch-Up Club. Or you can visit our website, thoughtjarproductions.com. This podcast is available on iTunes and SoundCloud, and we would really appreciate your subscriptions there, so pick your service of choice. For more information about this and other podcasts we produce, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com. And now, for this week's episode. Hello everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Catch-Up Club podcast, the podcast for films that you probably should have seen by now. I'm your host, Stephen B. Platt. Thank you very much for downloading this week's episode. And this week, it's our fifth and final film in the Foreign Language Film Month. That's right, we're at the end of August, and it's time to watch our final foreign language film. The one that you picked, the audience at home, because you voted for 2006's Pans. Labyrinth. And joining me to review Pan's Labyrinth, we have um, another couple. It seems to have been a bit of a couple's month. Uh, it's uh, everyone's favourite Valentine's Day couple from <laughs> earlier this year, uh, Justin and Claire Mosel Crossley. Hi. <laughs> we yeah. paused and then both answered at the same time. Yes, that's just, that, that is what people expect. We're just that in sync. Yeah. Just can't even help it. Yes. Marriage has just conditioned us. Indeed. And uh, speaking of your, your marriage and yes. your relationship, also in the room with us is your soon to be eight month old daughter, Lily. Yes. Who is uh, at her second podcast recording oh, after she was, what, six weeks for Sean? Yes, yes, I, I think so. Yeah. And probably much more vocal this time, and I'm sure very keen for the film. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, we've she's seen Sean of the Dead. Now she's going to watch Pan's Labyrinth. So. <laughs> uh, getting a film education very early. Yes. So, Justin, you haven't seen Pan's Labyrinth. I have not. And from our discussion this morning, we realized I don't even really know what Pan's Labyrinth is. Mm. Um, I may have been confusing Pan's Labyrinth with Labyrinth. So, oh, the- no David Bowie in this one, um, which is a bit disappointing, but I'm sure I'll figure out what this is all about. As far as I'm aware, there's no David Bowie. I also haven't seen Pan's Labyrinth. <laughs> oh, good. Cool. Um, well, well we, we can discover together. Exactly. Maybe he makes a surprise appearance. Yeah, maybe he appears, you know, he's like, Pan, you must <laughs> you must finish the labyrinth. That's that's it. That was more Jimmy Stewart than David oh, Bowie. But, oh. uh, Claire, welcome to the show. Uh-huh. Thank you. You have seen Pan's Labyrinth. I have. So I th- know that it's a film that's in Spanish. Um, Justin here thinks that David Bowie's going to do In a sort of vague, non-spoilery sort of way, what can we actually expect from Pan's Labyrinth? It's like girl meets mythical world. Oh. But everything in the real world is also messed up. Okay, so it's like a meshing of like the mystical with the real. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Ooh. It's really cool. So it's going to be like Coraline, but not in... Um, in <laughs> uh, animated series and there's some wicked special effects well yes i mean this is uh guillermo del toro who yeah. is um oh obviously the... okay. yes lily <laughs> i'm excited now yeah. <laughs> so is lily yeah big big fan of uh, the current uh, best director winner mm. of uh, at the academy awards mm-hmm. and I, I don't know. Have you have you seen Shape of Water? His more more recent. No, I okay. haven't. I've been meaning to though. Okay, because I know there's a few connections between this film and that film. Uh, Doug Jones, who is in the prosthetics in uh, Shape mm. of Water, is in a lot of prosthetics in this film yeah. as well. And yeah, and obviously same director. Um, yeah, I think it's 
it's a very prescient time. I know, Lily, it's a very <laughs> prescient time for us to uh, be having a look at Del Toro's mm. first really big international mm, hit, I yeah. guess. Because even though I haven't seen this film, I remember when it came out, people yeah. were very, very uh, effusive in their praise yeah. about this film. Yeah. And um, I, I don't know why I didn't see it at the time, uh, but we're going to fix that now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so shall we just jump into it? I think so. Yeah. Lily's <laughs> ready. Let's do it. <laughs> okay, well, uh, for those of you who are watching at home, pop in your DVDs and prepare to watch it with the eyes in the palm of your hands as uh, we prepare to watch Pan's Labyrinth. Hello, everybody. Stephen Platt here, just letting you know about another up-and-coming project from Thought Jar Productions. It's called Atlantis. It's a science fiction radio play series that's being staged in Perth, Western Australia, between August the 21st and October the 4th. If you're a fan of comedies such as Red Dwarf, Black Adder, and Blank Books, and also a fan of science fiction properties such as Doctor Who and Star Trek, then think of all of those things mashed up and set in an underwater city. That is Atlantis. If you live in the Perth area and would like to come along, please visit atlantisradioplay.com. It's going to be a very exciting and fun series, and I think that you'll all enjoy it. And for those of you listening outside of the Perth area, whether that's somewhere else in Australia or indeed international, you're not going to be left out either. Because it's a radio play, all of the performances are going to be recorded live and then redistributed as audiobooks here on the internet. So if you'd like to listen into the show, you can also get information at the following website, atlantisradioplay.com. And of course, make sure that you like the Thought Jar Productions Facebook page. There'll be updates there too. And now, back to the podcast. Hello everybody and welcome back to our review of Pan's Labyrinth. We've just finished watching the film, that's myself and my guest today, Claire and Justin Merzel crossley How you doing guys? Good. Very yeah, good. good. <laughs> uh, and we do have Lily who is currently undergoing something you taught me about last time you were on, mm. uh, Justin, because yes. it's it's tummy time right Indeed. now. Indeed, yes. So, Very important part in every little baby's life where mm. they must learn to fend for themselves on their tummy. Exactly. So we'll give you tummy time updates as we go. But right now, <laughs> Lily, who is uh, behind me, is... Um, She's on her back, so she's <laughs> <laughs> she is rejecting tummy time pretty yes. fiercely. <laughs> um, but yes, she is joining us as well uh, as we review Pan's Labyrinth. Um, Justin, this was your first time watching it. Yes. And uh, what did you think of it? It is really interesting. It was a really clever film. Um, lots of um, moments and and pieces that are clearly very well thought out. Um, I thought it was. Really interesting as like this kind of double meaning um, film where either, you know, it's a girl entering this magical world or a girl trying to um, cope with the terribleness of her life by mm. imagining a magical realm. Yeah, I mean, mm. it's it it's certainly an interesting uh, setting, um, you know, following young Ophelia who 
um, is, what a name for yes. a character that could be going insane. <laughs> yeah, although her name it, it's spelled with an F instead of a PH. Oh. It's entirely different. Oh, oh of course, uh, no, definitely. Uh, but yes, <laughs> no, no, no intentional association at all. Yeah, young Ophelia, who um, her and her mother are moving to the country to be with um, her stepfather, who the Capitan, yeah, Capitan Vidal, <laughs> Capitan, um, is a bit of a dick. Let's be frank. Yeah. Um, and yeah, while she's there, she encounters these. Um, these magical happenings. Mm. Um, Claire, you said that you last saw this probably around the time it came out. Like yeah, a, a, probably it was about years ago. Yeah. How how was it revisiting this film for the first time in let's say a decade? It was good to watch it now that I'm grown up because mm-hmm. the first time I watched it, I wasn't like really young, but I was young, and like all the gruesome. Hmm. things that happen i was like no i can't watch it but then this time i was like oh yeah that happens yeah <laughs> yeah i mean there was still a few moments of Ugh. Yeah. Uh, yeah um mm-hmm. and and that is i think a good place to start with this film is that mm-hmm. um the special effects are great mm. yeah um, in terms of like right. they, they have a mixture of practical and cgi mm-hmm. they, they veer more towards the practical mm-hmm. and what they do in terms of the practical effects are a Astounding. Yeah. Mm, um, yeah some... Specifically, anything that uh, Doug Jones has to wear, yeah. <laughs> um, either as the fawn or as um, as as the pale man, mm. um, mm. the guy with the eyes in his hands. Just a bunch of great gory effects mm. that, that are just clearly very awesome practical bits and pieces. Yeah. Did Did we have a favourite gory effect? Just out of interest. I always have loved the nose when he smashes the nose with the bottle. Oh, yeah. And it completely breaks. <laughs> I, I do, like, it took me forever to... What a thing to, to love. Yeah. <laughs> it took me forever to remember that, like, pe- like people I'm who used to come in... seeing my wife in a whole new light today. <laughs> people used to come into the video shop and be like, oh, yeah, that's the movie where the guy gets his nose smashed and mm. dies. And I was like, oh, interesting. Mm. And then when you watch it, yeah. it's it's amazingly oh, effective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's really interesting that obviously we, to, to focus on Captain Vidal, who, who is mm. the antagonist of this film, who is... Um, you know, part of part of Franco's army is part of is basically just yeah. a complete controlling dickhead. Let's call yeah. him that. No, um, no. And you know, he he demeans everyone, and he just brutally executes these two farmers who yeah. claim that they were hunting for rabbits, but they could be resistance members. Turns out they were probably hunting for rabbits, yeah. but he was just sort of doing it to make sure needed some killing practice you know hadn't killed anyone that day just like need need to make sure he still knew how to smash someone's face in yeah and he did it with a bottle (laughs) and it was very very gruesome very effective and quite quick in how it was done and i I thought it was a really really effective uh, effect Mm. like you say and particularly the way they do it so you can see like the face slowly caving in as as, well i say slowly it's it's pretty quick but you see this happening it's a detail that you don't often see mm. even in intense war films yeah definitely um, yeah. lets you know what sort of movie you're in for yeah puts, puts you in that frame yeah. of mind yeah um for, for me personally I, I enjoyed the when later on when he got cut across the cheek mm. and he's trying to sew it back up i thought that was really great it's a really impressive effect it's so simple but just like how how realistic those skin flaps look yeah. as he's yeah just sticking his yeah sewing needle or mm. sewing hook mm. yeah yeah really. it was gross but it was great yeah and i and yeah i think this is a film that um it, it, coming at it and watching it for the first time today myself it's one of those that you always hear about stylistically as being very mm. important and it's like 
okay, no. When I when I was imagining what Guillermo del Toro films were like, this is pretty much it. This yeah. is you know, it's it's that mixture of the occult and a bit of horror and a mm. bit of a bit of magic realism. Mm-hmm. When it's all blended in, where it's like it is pretty spectacular. And when the little bug transforms itself into a fairy, yeah. that was really cool. Uh, yeah. When we see some of those fairies getting eaten later on yeah. by the pale man, <laughs> we're like, that's pretty gross. gruesome. Yeah. <laughs> it, but effective. It, yeah, and it's that mixture of everything. I don't know how you felt, Justin, with this mm. being your first time watching it as well. Mm-hmm. I thought they all blended together pretty excellently. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's surprise. I, I think like it's really clever. Like in in the, in the way that they've created the film, color graded it, put put everything together. That that like the the magic elements and 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 the real world elements really do blend well together. Mm. Um, it's all got that kind of dark and ominous feel to it. Every, everything's a little bit twisted. It's 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 certainly not like colorful Disney magic world. Mm. It's um, yeah. everything's a little bit old and dark and twisted. Yeah. Mm. I agree, Lily. Very much so. Um, yeah, so we see the film begin. We, we're told it's Spain in 1944. Mm. Um, so, you know, that, that war setting. And the war plays a big part in this film. But it, it, it seems to be very much happening for most of the film away from from the events of, of mm. who we're following. You know, we even though they're all there for the war and they're trying to deal with these resistance fighters who are hiding in the forests... It almost feels as though the war is just the the backdrop to to this story of um, Ophelia discovering um, that the fairy tales that she's been reading might be real. Yeah. Um, so she has the interaction when she returns the rock to the totem, and the little bug comes out, bug fairy creature, and we see that become more of the fairy. <laughs> and it's it's cute, it's mm. nice, mm. but just with again with that slight tension behind everything yeah. where it's like it's not a fairy in the way that you would expect it's no. like a giant cicada <laughs> <laughs> and just i i liked that moment um just moving into the film a bit but i, I, I like the moment how um she the bug fairy has this particular way of being and then she shows a picture in the book and then it mm. transforms into mm. what she would imagine it to be and yeah. I, thought, I thought that was like a really interesting moment of her creating the world and mm. and, and and a way of linking mm. those things together yeah and ultimately the story is almost almost classic fairy tale in its construction i know that you find that fundamentally uh, upsetting lily but that's just what they chose chose to do um it's it's you know she meets she goes into the labyrinth she meets the fawn and the fawn says you are actually princess moana funnily enough um, uh-huh. moana uh, yeah like, yeah, um, unfortunately, there was none of that singing. Uh, but, uh, no. um, but yes, Lin Manuel had nothing to do with this one. No, no, he, yeah, he's just jotting down great names. Um, but we see it, and it's spelled differently as well as an yeah. extra N in there. Uh, but she is this. Um, Ophelia is is essentially the the lost soul of this princess mm. who left the underworld, um, and the fawn is basically saying ah yes no you are this lost soul or i suspect that you are but you must complete these three tasks yeah and the tasks are never very clearly set out yeah which no. i quite like it yeah like there were points where we're like what's she what's she meant to be doing here? <laughs> for a first good. time viewer yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. but i kind of like that mm. I, I enjoyed that mystery um mm. and like I, I presume obviously having seen mm. it before claire is, is it one of those films that you do benefit from having a a second or third viewing from yeah yeah definitely like you kind of know what's coming and so it like you don't have to follow it as closely whereas when it's your first time 
you've kind of got to pay attention. Yeah. Otherwise you're going to miss like really important things. Cause there's like sentences where they throw out this giant plot point mm. and then they just don't bring it up again. And you're like, Oh, that's mm. what they're doing. It's, it's, it's <laughs> probably a, like, cause there's that um, extra element as, um, uh, um, non-Spanish speaking viewers mm. where we've got subtitles we're contending with as well. So there is definitely that barrier of we've got to take in all that's being said first yeah. and then we can process everything else. So once you have an idea of what's going to be said in the film, I guess you're a lot more open mm. to being able to take in everything else that they've yeah. crammed in. And, and they have you know, crammed in a lot of little elements that have been very meticulous in how they build yeah, the world. Mm. Uh-huh. Do, you, do either of you have a preference for subtitled films over dubbing like would you prefer to have maybe watched this film with with an english dub or nah. no no i think I, I think generally i, I do prefer subtitles mm. i think I, I think it's much better to be able to to hear <laughs> oh, okay. we got a baby update one she... sec <laughs> tummy time is back on <laughs> we have rolled over ladies and gentlemen we have rolled over Oh, gonna roll over again. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, well, while we deal with the rolling baby, Justin, um, yes. if you'd like to continue in your point about S- subtitles. Sorry, yes. My, my point was that I, I think it's always good to be able to hear um, the performers give their performance you know, in, the, in, in, in the way that they had intended, you know, with their own vocalizations, um, rather than having someone who's dubbed it sort of giving their own interpretation. Mm. I think I think it, it peels back that extra layer where things could go astray. I mean, it's, it's like you were saying how um, how the director chooses to um, do his own subtitles. Yes, uh, Guillermo del Toro very specifically mm-hmm. did the subtitles in English mm-hmm. for this film because mm-hmm. he wanted to be very clear with the use of language um, in, in both, obviously, in Spanish and then in English, uh, yeah. essentially trying to convey... Not necessarily the correct translation, but the translation that most conveys his message. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, which, which, you know, you, you don't want to add that extra layer where things could get confused or broken down or lost. Yeah. So definitely subtitles is yeah. better. Yeah. Um, I have really enjoyed the last few um, foreign language films that we've mm. done. And I've, I've just realized that most of them have involved children or mm. child actors so far because obviously there was Cinema Paradiso where we follow like a story of a young boy growing up mm-hmm. in a bit of a different way My Neighbor Totoro did that as well mm. I mean they're animated uh, but but still it's about yeah. childhood mm. and this 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 is the third of the five films that has really dealt with childhood um, yeah. quite specifically but I think in terms of all the performers I think that um, Ivana Becerra who is playing Ophelia is pretty sensational. Yeah. There was no yeah. point where I was like, oh, this person's acting. I, you know, it's, it's, mm. it's one of those things where I was just, I just believed it. Mm. Yeah. No. From the off. Yeah. Really, really impressive. Yeah. Young actor. Mm. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Who I also realise is in her 20s now. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. Because it's been 12 years, Claire. Oh, so she, yeah. Sorry uh, about that. Time marches on. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But um, yes, Ophelia, very sympathetic character. I, yeah, and again, there's not really a character in this film, with the exception of Vidal, where you're like, Vidal is the only character who's completely unsympathetic. Like yeah. you can understand Carmen, even though Carmen is she's not really an antagonist as as the mother, mm. but she is 
she is a complication. Yeah. Um, but everything that she chooses to do, like the reason she chooses to marry the captain yeah. and have a child with the captain and, and mm-hmm. go and m- move to live with the captain is all because she is trying to survive yeah. in the world. Cope in this, in this war ravaged yeah. world. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, we find out, obviously, Ophelia's um, original, uh, her father was a tailor who died less than two years previously. Mm. And she's all like, it, it, Carmen has had to like, get married and and, and, and f- further to that, i mean like accused of being a traitor we, we, we assume killed um by the war and and yeah. all of the mm. so yeah yeah being, so, on, being on the wrong side of of everything and then i guess her mother trying to protect her child by um mm. yeah moving over to mm. Mm. Yeah. and she did say like i just can't be alone anymore mm. Yeah, that's why she had to marry him because she couldn't be alone. Yeah, and also, I mean, we we see her saying a lot of these things about she's almost the the antithesis of Ophelia, her daughter, mm-hmm. in you know, in saying that you know you'll you don't understand the real world yeah. to the point where you know when she does throw the mandrake into the fire and says you know ma- magic doesn't exist, mm. it's not real. Um, you know, you're you're not going to be young forever. You're going to have to grow up into this mm. world where stuff's just not great and you know you completely understand her point because magic isn't real Mm. the magic we we see throughout the film only seems to be real to ophelia when vidal is confronting her at the end of the film Mm. he doesn't see the fawn yeah um which i just i love that that whole extra layer and 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 especially creating a a situation where you know you do have a mother who's clearly suffering from mental health issues where the child has probably had to do a lot of her own Mm. self-rearing and and so she's got that independence that that reading that 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 world that she's built to kind of cope with Mm. a situation and so there is that whole like double layer of and 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 i don't i think i think that's great i don't i don't don't think we should um have to i don't think it should be a problem that we're kind of being led down the path of of questioning whether the whether the labyrinth is real because Mm. i think that's all part of it like Mm. like the process of kind of understanding that it, it it's it's real to her but it's also like it's it's just it's talking about childhood and coping mm. mechanisms mm. and 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 how we deal with um with, with the world and 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 how it how it confronts us and that sometimes we do just run away to a mm. land of fairies yeah no i mean it's yeah it's a really great um allegory for that mm-hmm. um and it's i think it's quite fascinating i don't think i don't think there's been many films with the the magical world where they've quite done that mm. i mean to compare it to my neighbor totoro for people who've been listening recently <laughs> obviously in that film um we have two young girls who discover sort of like a semi-magical neighbor in in totoro who sort of like affects things around them and even then that is shown as though uh, like when the cat bus goes past people they think it's just a big gust of wind yeah. as opposed to being this cat bus. Like it's, it's really interesting how like sort of the magical world and the real world sort of combine. Mm. Um, it's, it's quite fascinating. I really like the world, the real world elements around um, the story as well. Like it was mm. a pretty good little war resistance story, particularly with um, obviously Mercedes, who's this yeah. um, essentially like, Almost, I'm not. PA is the wrong word because she, yeah. she's not the captain's personal yeah. assistant. She's she's his maid essentially, yeah. his cook, all all these sorts of things. Um, and you've got her, and you've also got Doctor Ferrero, um, mm. who are both working with this resistance movement. 
Um, and I loved all those scenes where they mm. were like out with the resistance and you know hacking off a guy's leg because yeah. it's got gangrene. Um, but yeah, what what what, you, um, what did you guys think of those those bits? I think it was really well crafted in that um, you never you you were never kind of missing one world for the other. Like like mm. you you were you were both stories really sustained you and and had purpose, and so you never felt like. You know, you were just waiting for for, for um, one of the other part to come around. Um, both the magical world and those elements, and and the real world and the war, um, were very well developed. Mm. So so that both had something to contribute to the story. Mm. Yeah, yeah, mm. it was it was fun. Um, and by fun, I mean uh, horrifying. <laughs> horrifying. Because yeah. war, war is horrible. Uh, but <laughs> but. Yeah, I th- I think it just allowed for a really great through line of tension throughout the film. Yeah. Um, there was never at any point in this film where I was like, everyone is completely safe right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm not sure which which did you feel gave you more tension, Claire? Particularly this second time knowing what happened, was it with the the scenes with the resistance and the war stuff, or was it the scenes where we have Ophelia doing the tasks? It was the resistance. Mm. Yeah, the all the war stuff had way more tension for me, kind of because I knew how the tasks were going to end. Right. And so I knew what she was going to succeed at, what she was going to do, and what was going to happen at the very end. And so that kind of was like, oh, but I know things will like kind of be okay. Like mm. she's going to get through it. And the fawn may be telling her that she can't do the third test, but I know she can. <laughs> <laughs> But the war stuff, it's like, it's always just so, like, tense because, like, all this bad stuff's just constantly happening. Mm. And, like, you know there's nothing positive coming out of it. Like, Mm. it's all, it's going to end badly. Yeah, it's either survival, you die. Yeah. It's almost like the magical world, um, like, because it's, if you think of it as this generator thing, it's like... You know, there are tasks that you have to complete and they're challenging, but they're attainable and they, mm. and, 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 and they can be completed and, and, and succeeded at and, and gotten through. Whereas, you know, the challenges of the real world, you know, mm. they're complicated and they're, and they're immense and, mm. they, and, and, and they don't finish easily. You know, yeah. I mean, like we're, we're, we're hearing, you know, um, the captain and, and, and their whole like, like crew saying, you know, they've won the war. It's mm. over. You know, the resistance is beaten. We're, we're here. We're, mm. we're just killing off the dregs. But by the end of the film, you know, they've been overrun and, mm. and the mill's been claimed back for the rebels. And, and so, you know, there, there isn't really like that same finality. Yeah. It's, it's chaos yeah. essentially. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's, it's uncertain. And like, you have things like, the explosions happening on mm-hmm. like the train, mm-hmm. um, which was great, and mm-hmm. um, just I love that set piece of just yeah. this train <laughs> all messed up on the trains. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was chaotic and it was gritty, and like I said, there were guys getting their legs mm. cut off and people getting shot. Um, it was uh, uh, the the one bit of those scenes though mm. that I, I I really enjoyed was the really stupid hat. That guy was wearing in the ration place. It looked like you were saying, Claire. It looked like he'd strapped like a cat's food bowl yeah, to his head, or a toilet, mm. like just a toilet. Yeah, it was just like this weird black plastic hat, and I'm sure it's historically accurate, but um, I, I don't think it, it helped. It did pull me out of the film a little bit. Where I'm like, yeah. it looks like a, a Star Wars extra who's yeah. been <laughs> wandered onto the wrong set. <laughs> Yeah. So the rebels are approaching. 
Um, yeah, literally it, though, mm. <laughs> the rebels are approaching. Um, so with with the first two tasks, because obviously the third mm. task is is quite final and I think is worthy of discussion um, mm. in its own right. But the first two tasks, the uh, getting the key from the frog, yeah. and then um, using that key to get the blade without eating anything, Ophelia. Mm. Um, they they were quite gritty and mm. a bit gross. Um, but very enjoyable sequences. Yeah. 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 I mean, particularly the frog. Um, yeah. We were enjoying... Justin, you were horrified by this frog <laughs> when it, it um, as, as we learnt the term, uh, prolapsed itself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> where it, uh, yeah, it was... Quite well, gruesome. Very mm. anti-fairy anti tale, I think, mm. I think is the idea. Mm. Like, it, it very much gives you that thought of, like, I don't know, maybe, like, Grimm's or, like... like. But mm. it's it's trying to, to specifically move away from the niceness, the prettiness, the colourfulness of, mm. of, you know, um, a, a standard child's fairy tale. You know, it wants to be grimy and muddy mm. And, mm. And, and a bit gross. Yeah. yeah. And again, using the the rocks to to trick the frog yeah. was quite clever. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed that. And then I loved the setting of the pale man's um, mm. dining hall, and also just the honesty of having murals of yourself eating children. Baby <laughs> 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 Yeah, uh, like, say what you want about the pale man, but that was yeah. very upfront. Yeah, it's just, it's just, <laughs> yeah, it's exactly what's going to happen. So uh, <laughs> just be warned. Yeah. Uh, and then that final trial, um, <clears throat> where the fawn has come back and said, "Excellent, uh, bring your brother to the labyrinth." And she does steal the brother. Uh, Fidel's obviously chasing after her while the chaos of the rebel attack is happening. Yeah. And they get to the center, and he goes, "Great, give me the baby. We're going to make yeah. a blood sacrifice." <laughs> what? Oh yeah, yeah. We need the blood of the innocent. It's just a few drops. And she's going, "No, you don't. My mum's just died, and you are not having the blood yeah. of this baby." Mm-hmm. Um, and then. Just that brilliant, and I say brilliant just purely in terms of like constructing a film and following through with a promise of having Vidal turn up, take the baby, and shoot Ophelia. Because mm. yeah. you, right? you were just not accepting this I, at I was all. like, oh, are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> the film's not done, yeah. and, and you just killed the main character. <laughs> yeah, but we knew it was coming because yeah. the opening shot of the film was her with yeah. the blood on the nose. Uh, right, but we... like, I thought, I, I thought, like, you know, maybe she just like fell or something, yeah. got a bloody nose. No, no, no. she was shot by this absolute monster. <laughs> oh, mm. Jesus. And it was, I, I think, it was like, to be honest, it's quite a brave decision mm. from a yeah. filmmaker because you don't often... Oh, Lily thought it was funny. But... Oh, yeah, she, she was <laughs> weeing herself off and she loved it. But, but you don't often see films, oh. even where it's these like magical adventure films where children are put in danger or young adults yeah. are put in danger. It's very rare that you follow through and see someone get get actually properly killed. And yeah. even and normally it's through like magic, when, you know, like Cedric Diggory in the Harry Potter mm. films, that kind of thing. <laughs> It's sorry to bring that up, <laughs> but but you know it's it's very rarely is it just a grown man shooting an eleven year old girl in the stomach, yeah. um, and it was just like okay, I see, I yeah. see where we're going now. Yeah, just yeah. very much wanting to just counter the fairy tale mm. and and just like that that real world interrupting and kind of mm. like just forcing itself upon you is mm. yeah pretty pretty confronting. Yeah. But her deeds are rewarded. That bravery in standing up to this monster. It, a real world monster, I suppose. Mm. Um, in that she she is welcomed into the underworld, mm. and there's her father and her mother on the throne, and the fawn is there going, yeah. "Ha ha, you passed the mm-hmm. test." Yeah, um, I thought it was pretty funny that Justin's going, 
Oh, what a waste of blood. Like, she's just bleeding. What a waste. Oh. Yeah. But no, the blood did make its way to the totem. Yeah. Um, yeah so, I well, think... it's, it's that, that whole um, world idea of, mm. of you must leave your mortal form mm. to enter the spirit form. Yeah, yes. and they did discuss that a lot. And I, I quite like the fact that, you know, she, she goes to this this realm, but her body is, is just dead. And mm. so after mm. Vidal is caught and killed by the rebels and... Mercedes goes and she finds her her body. She finds mm. Ophelia's body and she is just humming that that what's the tune, Claire? Oh my god, I've forgotten that. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was stuck in your head for a little yeah, while. Yeah. Oh, anyway, she she hums the tune and is just distraught over this this dead child's body, basically. Yeah. Um, and but yet there's no reassurance for Mercedes or any of the surviving oh. characters uh-huh. in the the mortal realm. But we also have the the happy conclusion to the fairy tale. Mm. And then I think it leads to the question of, was any of that real? Mm. Mm. Which I think is entirely the point. But mm. I think I think I think it's really clever to set it up like that, where, you know, in the real world, there's such dark cons- consequences. But for Ophelia and and in her mind, she's free mm. and she she's mm. escaped you know, the, the terrors of the mortal world. Mm. Yeah, I, I think it's good that it leaves it up to the viewer to an extent to, mm. to say that because, you know, they do say that, um, you know, she left and she ruled for many centuries mm. down in the underworld and left little signs of herself uh, with, the, with the tree branch where she left yeah. the dress having a little flower on it. But yeah, part of me, as we were watching the credits, is kind of going, she might have just died. Mm. There might not be mm. this magical world mm-hmm. yeah. to an extent. Um, I mean, because I mean, all of her items that she got for tasks were related to future tasks. Mm. It was nothing that necessarily affected the real world stuff. Um, we had the chalk, which Vidal did find, but it was just a stick of chalk. Yeah. It yeah. very easily could have just been a child's play thing. Yes. Um, you know, things like the... Very hour, yeah. clever and, and deliberate um, yeah, planning yeah. To, so, that, so that the real world things as they interact mm. could just be, you know, it, it's just a chalk drawing on a wall. Yeah. But, yeah Nobody else saw the book that, yeah. that told her the information. No. Mm-hmm. And the book's pages are empty yeah. when anybody else looks at it. Yeah. yeah, it's one of those things where it could very well just be that it, it could just be a, a an elaborate coping mechanism, and ultimately Ophelia has just fallen into the void of death and and didn't mm. none of this existed, and she died for nothing. Or she's a magical princess who rules in the underworld. I like that one. I'm, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like the Reddit the Reddit forums don't even have to try with this one. There's yeah. no need to make up an elaborate like, um, yeah. um, subplot because it's already there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's it, it, all in all though. Did you enjoy it, Justin? Yes, yes, definitely. I mean, I think um, so often these days it seems to become this cliche of creating double meanings at the end and having leaving things up to the audience and, mm. and I'm kind of sick of it but I really like when you do it for a for a good purpose mm. when when yeah. you and when have, it's when it's done well I yeah, think is, exactly. is key. yeah this this mm. is the sort of story where like that that decision is absolutely justified whereas mm. if you just end anyway and say the audience can decide how this ended mm. then yeah you're being lazy mm. <laughs> And Claire, second time viewing? Yeah, still love it. Mm. Still just 
the amazing it's the effects that get me mm. every time the effects are just so good mm. they are i mean i i obviously the pale man looked great but the fawn the yeah. way the way the fawn was done and like the fact that I did do a bit of reading beforehand. And so those legs that are mm. obviously bending the opposite way to the way our legs do, mm. yeah. they were real. Yeah. But what they did... That's so clever. Yeah, what they did was um, they just... So Doug Jones had his actual legs essentially in front of where those fawn yeah. legs were. Mm. But the fawn legs were made to like stand and adjust whenever he adjusted his weight. And so when they digitally removed his real legs, the fawn legs looked like they were taking the yeah. weight of the fawn. And it's really just, clever. yeah, it's just things like that where I'm like, it's mm-hmm. great. I love the way the ears moved. Mm-hmm. Um, all the animatronics mm-hmm. around that was was absolutely fantastic. Um, and the little, yeah, putting the eyes in the hand yeah. for the pale Yeah, like there was even like, there was holes there that looked like it like it would actually embed the eyes. Yeah. Like it just looked so yeah. realistic. Would you guys like some trivia? Yeah, yeah. maybe. <laughs> Lily, would you like, would you like some? No, uh, we, a big smile. We got a big smile. Definitely want some trivia. Okay, well, Lily, here's the first bit. Uh, <laughs> Guillermo del Toro reportedly said no uh, to Hollywood producers, in spite of being offered double the budget provided um, to make the film in English. He didn't want any compromise on the storyline to suit what he called mm. market needs. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. and, uh, Wise choice. Yeah, ultimately yeah. proved right in this particular case because everyone loves this film. Everyone raves about this film. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and again, the actors were great. It, it's one of those things where the pro- performances are great and the physical performances are so great, you forget yeah. you're watching something in another language. Yeah, mm, absolutely. Um, Del Toro is famous for compiling books full of notes and drawings about his ideas before turning them into films, something which he regards as essential to the process. He left one of these notebooks, which is like years of notes for this film, in the back of a taxi. And when he discovered he was missing, he thought, well, that's the end of that project. But the cab driver found them and realizing their importance, tracked him down and returned them to him at personal uh, expense. Del Toro was convinced that that was a blessing and made him more determined to make this film because he started putting things together for this film in 1993. Yeah. Oh, wow. Like this was like a 13-year project for him. So thank you to that taxi driver. Yeah. Um, The captain's room is made to look like the inside of his father's watch which Del, uh, Del Toro said represented his troubled mind. So all those cogs in the background, because oh. he was pretty much, he was pretty trapped by that, that, yeah. that broken watch. And the fact it kept making ticking noises despite the fact it wasn't ticking. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I really like that detail of like just having all these cogs in the background, mm. but the fact that it was all dilapidated and a bit crappy. Yeah. I think, yeah, it was just a great effect. Oh, that's very clever. Yeah. It's really well thought out. Mm. Stephen King attended a screening of the film and sat next to Del Toro. Uh, according to uh, Del Toro, King squirmed when the, peel man, when the pale man chased Ophelia. Del Toro compared the experience of see- seeing horror writer Stephen King's reaction <laughs> to winning an Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah, yeah if, you, if you've affected the great horror writer, you've done well. Yeah, yeah. and th- I mean, that pale man running around, it's ultimately just a guy in a big latex mm. suit, but they made it work yeah. so well. I did, yeah. I did not like it. When that thing was moving, <laughs> yeah, with its hands oh, out, like yeah. uh, it was just beautiful. And uh, again, Doug Jones getting a lot of recognition these days because of his work in Shape of Water. Mm. But he's been doing this stuff for years, mm-hmm. yeah. And he's he's got an amazing physical presence, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and like the fact that you can see just this brilliant movement acting coming through so much prosthesis, yeah, is and, phenomenal. 
just just like creating that like like unlearning human movements yeah. and kind of generating something that looks completely otherworldly is like really clever yeah. yeah and also doug jones had to memorize his lines um he had to memorize them in spanish and obviously he doesn't speak spanish mm. he's the only non-spanish mm. speaker <laughs> on the film he also had to learn um Ophelia's line so that he knew when he had to speak next Um, and the servos in the headpiece that were required to make the facial expressions and the ears move were very loud so he couldn't really hear her speak her lines so yeah he had to learn these lines in another language and and it's not his voice that they use in the end but he still had to learn how to say them so that it would look right when the puppet was moving and it was just brilliant Um, Mm -hmm. absolutely fantastic Wow. So yeah, great dedication. Yeah, right. yeah, well, you know, professional actors. <laughs> yeah. We hope they do well. Um, speaking of dedication, Del Toro was not actually paid for this film. Uh, he gave oh. up his entire salary, including back ends, to make sure that the film was realised. And he says to this day, it was totally worth it. Uh, <laughs> well done. Yeah, I mean, it was clearly a passion project, but when you've got that much passion for it. It, it, it's obviously worth it. Um, Absolutely. And mm. the film reportedly received a 22-minute applause at the wow. Cannes Film Festival screening. Oh, wow. Which is just like, I mean, I'm sick of that now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I would have given it 22 minutes, but uh, but people Sorry. raved about this film. They loved yeah. it. Um, yeah. And, and you, just, you just really... I, it's one of those things I, I love seeing films that clearly put the effort in and like there's so much fantastic thought and effort that's gone into a production to see yeah. it rewarded like that I think yeah. is important yeah mm. passion makes good films mm. yes well mostly. a lot of the time yeah yeah there's still a couple of things you need in there, but, <laughs> yeah but yeah um for the fairy eating scene at Doug Jones um obviously when he's biting the fairies, the way they achieved the blood effect on him mm. was he just bit into condoms that were filled with fake blood because <laughs> they needed something that would have the right pull and snap. So, oh, so yeah, so that when they put the fairies in over digitally. So he was just biting these condoms full of blood. <laughs> Tasty. Oh, that's a look. <laughs> yeah, and they're very sugary. Were they flavoured condoms? Um, we'll have to ask him. <laughs> Doug, if you're, if you're around, let us know. Um, it took him five hours to get into the Pale Man costume, mm. uh, and he could only see it out of the nose holes, because obviously oh, wow. there's, no eyes. there's no eye holes. Um, but yeah. And you can't really see through your hands. Mm. And finally, the fawn in the movie was inspired by a lucid dream Del Toro repeatedly had when he was a child. Mm-hmm. Every midnight, he would wake up and a fawn would gradually step out from behind a grandfather clock. Oh, that's creepy. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Well, creepy, yes, but he's worked it into, yeah. into something very lovely and artistic. That inspiration. What a horrible dream to constantly have, though. <laughs> I don't know. Like there are there are some lucid dreams that you know I've had in childhood that like yeah they they just stick with you. It's, it's mm. interesting. Yeah. Do you have a particular one that sticks with you? Ah, <laughs> oh, I mean, there's a bunch of them, but they're they're very weird. They they they, they could not be explained. <laughs> okay, now that's fair. Oh dear. Claire, any weird dreams? I used to have a reoccurring dream that was like Monster House. Before Monster House even came out. Mm. Okay. Like there was a house that would come alive Mm. and try and eat me. Claire had a premonition about Monster House. (laughs) Well, if only you could have stopped it. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, Um, yeah. And one final point just on um, obviously the the film's ending 
Um, mm. Audience is obviously interpreting it in different ways. Um, Del Toro's explanation for that um, was basically to say this. I always think of a beautiful quote by Soren Kierkegaard, who says, the tyrant's reign ends with his death, but the martyr's starts with his death. I think that it, that is the essence of this movie. It's about living forever by choosing how you die. Mm. Wow. Mm. And Lily has hiccups, so. <laughs> which I think beautifully undercut that that lovely philosophical moment. Uh, let's score the film, guys. Um, we'll start with you, Justin. It was your first time watching Pan's Labyrinth. What are you going to give it out of ten? Oh, um, oh, I mean, I, I don't think it can go any lower than a nine. Like it was, it was very impressive. So I'm going to say nine um, hand eyeballs out of ten. Mm. Claire, what about you? Mm, I agree. Yeah, you probably couldn't go any lower than a nine. Like it just, it sticks with you. It really does. Mm. Um, so yeah, I'm going to give it nine pans out of nine. Yeah. Ten. Yeah, nine pans out of ten. Yeah. And funnily enough, yeah, called Pan's Labyrinth because obviously Pan is uh, the most famous of the fauns in, in sort of mm. Germanic mythology. Uh, in Spain, it's literally just called the Labyrinth of the Fawn. Um, and they went, that's probably not going to work as well in England. They're all English-speaking countries. Let's go with Pan's Labyrinth. Um, and for me, I think you can go lower than a nine, but not by much. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. I think there are bits where I was a bit... It's very well put together, mm. but I think it's not entirely my sort of film. Mm. Um, I, like, it didn't... It didn't fully captivate me the way that I think um, that it captivated other people when they saw this film. Yeah. And it could just be that I've heard a decade worth of people saying Pan's Labyrinth is an amazing film. Yeah. And when you see it and it's only amazingly excellent, you're kind of like, yeah. well, it wasn't, it, my socks were not blown off. <laughs> you know, it, it, I, think, I think that can have an effect on it. But I, I still think it's very well put together mm. and I would... Definitely watch it again. So I think that's a sign of a good film. Yeah. So I'm going to give it eight and a half really stupid hats out of, <laughs> out of ten. Um, toilet hats. Yeah, toilet hats. It's, <laughs> it, is, it is a very lovely film um, mm. and it is very well put together. And um, I, I really enjoyed watching it. Yeah. Justin and Claire, thank you very much for watching it with me. No, thank you for having us thank again. <laughs> and for those of you listening at home, that brings us to an end of Foreign Language Film Month. Uh, next week, we return to more of our regularly scheduled programs uh, where it can be films from anywhere um so make sure that you find out what that next episode is by subscribing on itunes or soundcloud or whichever podcasting or podcatching service you use uh, just search for the cinema catch-up club we can also be found on facebook just search for the cinema catch-up club podcast or you can search for thought jar productions uh, give them a like give them a follow and you'll get updates each and every week and, of course, there is our Patreon. Uh, you can go to patreon.com forward slash podcast, and if you become a member there, you get a few extra bonus goodies too. Uh, so, like, in fact, I'm going to do an interview with Lily after this, and uh, you, you might be able to hear that in the near future. Um, but, yes, that is all for this week. So, until next time, goodbye. Bye. Bye. You have been listening to a Thought Jar Productions podcast. For more information, please visit 
thoughtjarproductions.com.